Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grad School Femme Train podcast. Today, I have another wonderful guest who is here to talk to us about managing pandemic-related grad app complications. So this is a really interesting topic. I'm really excited to hear from her. Our, um, our guest is Shania Montufar, who is a senior sociology student and Ronald McNair Scholar. That's how we know each other. Um, at Truman State University, which is actually located in Northeast Missouri. She was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to or, and she is a child of Ecuadorian immigrants. Her research interests lie in the intersection of migration, gender, sexuality, and Latin American studies. She's also conducted research at Truman State University, at the University of Michigan, and at Women Employed, which is a Chicago-based non profit that centers women's labor's rights, women's labor rights, yes. She serves as the, as the first Latina to be president of her university student government. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Anaya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to connect with you again. Um, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your background. So your personal background, as well as your educational trajectory thus far. Yeah. So I think that you gave a good, a good summary. Um, <laughs> but I've been in the Midwest and the rural Midwest for most of my life. So I started off in Oklahoma and then moved to Missouri as a high, as a middle schooler and high schooler. Um, wasn't super prepared to go to college, only applied to one school, the school that I go to now. So um, I stumbled into the McNair program, mostly because they were recruiting a lot. <laughs> and that's when I sort of started thinking about grad school as an option. It really, really was not on my radar at all. And even when I was joining the program, I was still trying to figure out if I wanted to do a master's program or if I felt like a PhD program made more sense. But eventually I got more involved in research. So I'm fortunate that part of the course progression my major includes a a research project. So that was one of my first experiences in just doing the process. Um, and then I did some RUs. Unfortunately, one of mine was canceled, which because of the pandemic. So maybe we circle back to that <laughs> when we oh, talk. Wow. Yeah. But because um, you had another opportunity, right? So which one was like the first one that didn't work out? So my sophomore year, I was accepted into UT Austin's. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Research yeah. for undergraduates. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of them were canceled that year. Fortunately, I was able to work out an internship with women employed. So, you know, things worked out, but it was, you know, that would have given me a little bit more sort of understanding of my own interest and in research and things like that. So, but, you know, it worked out and I figured out that I really enjoy doing research. Um, so at this point, I've applied to programs. So I spent the last semester applying to around 10 programs. And I'm slowly starting to hear back, which is exciting and scary <laughs> and all of those things. So yeah, that's kind of where I am. 
Okay, so that that's great because it's a perfect transition to get us to talking about the topic, which is hurdles and spe specifically pandemic-related hurdles. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's something that I thought, oh, you know, 2020, oh, it's only going to be a couple of months, and then oh, <laughs> the next cohort's going to be fine. Oh, and then the next year they'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's what over two years. So. What's going on for you now or what um, came up for you in the fall as you were applying? Yeah. What are some of those hurdles? So, so as I was thinking of maybe some things to say here, I realized that, you know, obviously there are complications with our programs, even taking applicants, GRE requirements changing, but there are so many other things beyond that. So even when I just mentioned my REU, a lot of programs didn't take students for REUs you know, in the past like two or three years, some fully canceled theirs, some moved online. So starting my sophomore year, all of my research prep experiences have been changed, maybe in a way that they they wouldn't have. Um, so that means that I didn't get the opportunity to go to Austin or to any other program that I would have gone to that year, which, you know, is important. You know, when I went to Michigan, you get to meet people in the department, you get to know standards and applications and things like that. So I think a lot of people didn't get that opportunity, which, you know, changes <laughs> your application process. Um, but beyond that, for more specific things, when I was looking at programs my junior year, a lot of programs weren't taking applicants. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, yeah. which was scary to me at the time because, you know, I. I didn't end up reaching out individually to programs, but it felt so up in the air. So definitely the whole process around that was sort of like our programs taking applicants it in some ways would make sense if they didn't so they can better support their current students. Will the requirements be changing? And some of them did. So the other sort of big theme is that GRE changes were happening a lot during the pandemic. So I don't remember the exact number, but I think out of my 10 programs, only three required that I submit GRE scores. Um, I, I have a quick follow-up on the two things that you mentioned. So yeah. the first one was finding out that some programs weren't accepting stu students. Was this clearly indicated on websites or was it something that you had to contact them to ask if they were accepting students? You know most most of those websites weren't updated until maybe August or September mm -hmm. because it still said we are not taking applicants and then eventually I would look at the website and it would say <laughs> one day oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, typically <laughs> September is the time that most most places start yeah. to update their sites yeah so I really was just looking there um, I didn't start working really intensively on my applications until around that time anyway uh, but it was you know worrying <laughs> in a larger sense yeah. it was like, I don't know. I don't know. if somebody Was that the same, also the case for the GRE uh, requirements? Was that something that you found on the website, you know, in September or something you had to contact them directly to ask them, are you accepting it? Is it, is it optional? They were fairly transparent. Okay, so it good. was usually on the website. Um, yes, yes. But interesting, what I thought was interesting is that, you know, so there's a, there's a whole separate conversation about GRE being used for graduate school applications at all, a lot of those programs specifically mentioned we are we are not taking grad school we're not taking uh, GRE scores because of the pandemic. So I oh, I'm wondering, you know, will those come back <laughs> next year or the year after? Um, you know, that's a big conversation that 
programs are having, you know, directors, administrators, the committee members and admissions folks are having nationwide. Yeah. It's really hard to say, yeah. but the trend, it, it does seem that the trend is that more and more programs are, are eliminating it. It's just unfortunate that it's not a centralized thing. It's not like yeah. you can say, okay, the GRE is no longer a requirement across the board, all mm -hmm. universities in the U.S. That's the part that's frustrating because to be frank, it, sh it shouldn't be a requirement. Yeah. It's, an, it's, it's yet another hurdle, yeah. Right, so because two or three of my programs wanted those scores, I did end up taking the GRE. Um, I took it two times, both online. So I did the at-home GRE test, which I, oh never my gosh. <laughs> I never took it in person, so I really don't know how it compares. Um, but it was, you know, kind of a weird experience in and of itself. It's always a weird experience, even in person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So what hurdles came up for you with the GRE? I'm assuming there might have been something for the test itself, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to find. They pretty much want you to be at a room with a table with nothing on it, nothing around it. And like, I was at my parents' house when I took the test over the summer, and that's not really, <laughs> we don't really have a space like that. So I they asked to see your entire room? Yes, they, okay. yeah. And it was embarrassing because <laughs> I was at a desk and they wanted uh -huh. me to open the drawers and I had to empty all the drawers. Like, oh. on it was just, <laughs> it was a lot. And then it was like, you know, when you're at home, sometimes people are loud. <laughs> so I think they were doing maintenance on my house that day. And so in the middle, someone was like hammering outside of my bedroom. I was like, oh no. Um, but yeah. Do you think there was something you could have done um, to prepare if you had known about, about them checking your room or whatever yeah. other requirements were? Yeah. Yeah, I ended up so... I wouldn't have done it at my house, <laughs> but then it's also, I don't know if I have a great idea of what other spaces could be good for that. I know that at my university, at least you can rent out study bubbles in the library. So something like that might've worked better. To be honest though, even ours, you can only rent out for like an hour and a half at a time. So I'm not sure what I would have done. Um, I think that for my second exam, I ended up taking it at home, but I, uh, also asked my McNair program to use an office in, they have a building at my university. Um, so I think that would have worked well too. I just remembered as I was saying that, that the second time I took my GRE, I, my roommate came back from break and walked in in the middle of the exam, oh. which, is like the huge, which is like a huge no-no. Like you might have to like completely forfeit the exam. Ah. That. So um, yeah, both times were very stressful <laughs> yeah. because there were just some things that I couldn't control. There was no way. Uh, but yeah, I guess if I were to do it again, I would probably take the exam in the Adair house, which at Truman is where the McNair offices are located in like the basement or something. So, <laughs> Somewhere yeah, an uninterrupted place yes. would be great. Yeah. yeah. And I know, like you said, it's not ideal for a lot of folks. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. That's maybe, I don't even, you know, there's still lots of people that come in and out of those offices too. So the one upside I will say about the online test is that you can take it really whenever. So you can take it at like 5 a.m. or 11 p.m. You can take it at these sort of bizarre hours, which did work well for me. I ended up taking mine really, really late one time and really, really early the other time. So that flexibility was sort of nice, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know what, no matter what, I, I think across 
the board, most people do not have a positive experience with taking the GRE. I don't know <laughs> a single person who said they enjoyed it. <laughs> I always tell people that it's cursed because I've heard some some horror stories. Like, my car broke down on the way there, or I didn't. I I didn't realize that my California ID was expired, or <laughs> I, you know. I didn't know that I needed a whiteboard. And so I didn't have anything to use for, for notes or I don't know, just random stuff like that where yeah. it's just out of your control or you just yeah. didn't know. Yeah. 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 What else came up for you? So this, this fall, you, I'm assuming predominantly applied to PhD programs yes, I did. Yes. and what other types of hurdles or, or in what ways did the, did the pandemic impact your application process? Because mm -hmm. you said it, it, it started out with impacting your research. So from the beginning, from your sophomore yeah. year, and that's not just true for you. That's true for everyone. Yeah. So many well, students have had to be creative, especially folks I know in STEM fields didn't have access to labs having to yeah. be really creative with how, how do you do research when you don't have access to certain things or data and things like that. So from the beginning, you've had to manage these um, obstacles and now the fall quarter you're applying, what came up for you? What else? Yeah. One quick note about research one last yeah. time. My first project that I did um, as part of my sociology course progression, it was an interview project and that was fully online. It was fully on Zoom. <laughs> so yeah, starting from my very first research experience, it's always sort of thing. You probably maybe didn't imagine that your interviews would be on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a, a good and a bad thing, you know? Like it's, yeah. it's great because it's much more accessible, mm -hmm. um, but it's bad because you, you're missing out on that live kind of in-person connection yeah. yeah absolutely. i'd say that another big challenge is that as part of the mcnair program i would generally be funded to go on visits <laughs> so obviously yes. essentially impossible <laughs> in a lot of cases um and so that's gonna make it that's there's a future challenge there too because as Hopefully everything goes well and you get, uh, um, you know, more than one acceptance. If you're in that position where you have to decide, yeah. it, it can be challenging to make a decision without physically being able yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, outside of just myself, so actively in the application process, our program would generally take a group of students to take a charter bus to we were going to Indiana sort of the week that our classes moved online. So I think that there are obviously lots of generations of students that aren't getting to go to different campuses to get an idea of what programs they like what they don't like about programs. Um, so yeah, it, it just puts you in a harder place once it's time to decide what programs you want to apply to and then once you get in sort of where you want to go. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gotten accepted into a few programs now and I'm starting to get information about visit days and yes, they're all online. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> Which, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and then there were open houses and things when I was in the application process, all of those have been online, which at this point, that is a part of my universe. So that hasn't right. felt super weird. In some ways, it is nice to not have to worry about travel or taking off classes, because sometimes those visit days would be, you know, it would work out in a way where I could still go to class the same day and then do my visit, which is nice, which is nice. Um, I'd say that one thing that I 
I've tried to learn about programs without being on the campuses. And one of the most helpful things that I did in that sense was to meet with a lot of students um, on Zoom, on Zoom, which, yes. you know, I don't know if that would have been as easy before, but that's definitely been something that's been really successful so far. And I've gotten a lot of really good responses from different grad students at different programs. We have a quick 15, 20 minute conversation on Zoom. And then, you know, that, that helps me better understand a program. So that's one of the things I've been doing to try to get a feel for a campus or a department when I'm unable to go. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of questions, I guess, for me. <laughs> that's really important though, the aspect of reaching out to grad students and talking to more than one too, because, yeah. you know, everybody has a different experience since they will give you the, the real <laughs> honest truth about a program, they yeah. will tell you if, you know, it's, if it's a great environment, if it's a toxic environment, if there's someone you really have to work with, if there's someone you want to stay away from and just in general, their experience and, and living there, healthcare there, yeah. housing there, funding there, all the things that you might not necessarily feel comfortable asking a right. potential advisor, that, that's great that you're doing that. That's going to help you a lot. Um, they're they're your, your eyes and ears <laughs> um, since you can't physically be there. Exactly. I think yeah. I've just been thinking on those conversations a lot more than I might have if I was able to go there. Yeah. And having to ask a lot more questions since you yeah. can't kind of determine things on your own, yeah. right? I've been asking a lot about area too. So where do grad students generally live in the area? Good. Yeah, just trying to, to yeah, wrap like, is it a commuter school or not? You know, what's transportation like, cost of living here? I can imagine. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yep, just having to be creative. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering now, since you've gone through the process and you've done it rather successfully, you've already started to hear back, which is wonderful. What advice would you give to students? There are some folks who are currently applying to, there's still a few master's programs that are coming up, uh, their deadlines are coming up, or those that are actually doing their prep work for applying for doctoral programs in the fall. You know, what kind of advice would you give them since they're in a similar circumstance with same kind of pandemic related issues yeah I mean I guess one of the maybe more intuitive things but something that was hard for me was to reach out to programs when things are vague <laughs> and especially if you feel like things are changing um I've gotten good pretty good responses from Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say so when you say reach out to programs, people ask me this all the time, but who did you in particular yes. reach out to? Did you reach out to the staff person? Did you reach out yes. to the grad students? Did you reach out to the, the chair, the professors? The first place that I generally reached out to, if it were especially about requirements um, for the application, was generally the... I don't remember what it's called. Their grad advisor or yeah, like they have different names sometimes. Yeah. Some sort of staff member, office yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. Or if there's I'm a in. professor, or if there's a professor who is like the advisor for the program mm -hmm. for admissions that year. Um, and sometimes some schools seem like they have a whole graduate, they have staff for their graduate sort of programs. Um, so it depends, but generally a staff, a person in staff, yes. Um, and I ask them if they have any suggestions for other people to connect with. Sometimes they they wouldn't give me any <laughs> really much help. They would say, well, you're open to reach out to faculty or students. And then some people would be very structured and 
reach out to those people for me. And honestly, you know, sometimes that, you know, made me think about what the supports look like in the program. Um, so that was good to know. So I guess one just reaching out to people, <laughs> which is a hard part of the process. And that's something that I'm, I'm in McNair and I, I do peer mentoring. And it seems like a lot of students have some hesitations with doing that. Yes. Um, yeah. There's a lot of nerves, imposter syndrome, yeah. just, you know, the, that fear of rejection. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's something that's challenging too. If you're wanting to reach out to students and faculty, you obviously always have that feeling of, you know, do they want to talk to me? Do they have the time? And, you know, why not ask? <laughs> and sometimes they don't have the time. And I got that response a lot, I guess. So, you know, for clarity, sometimes people told me, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this or reach back around in a month or so. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> um, I would maybe try a different student or something else or just wait and reach back out to them in a month or so. Um, but yeah, so the first piece of advice, I guess, is to, to always reach out to committees, to the faculty in a given graduate program, if there's anything that's confusing, and there will be things that are confusing as we like, you know, navigate pandemic changes with GRE or different requirements. Um, the other thing is, is just depending a lot on people in that community. Um, which, you know, is something I talked about earlier too, but that, that was probably the most helpful part of the entire process was the conversation that I had with those grad students. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you're kind of trusting them to be eyes and ears right. and sort of an idea of what it's like to be in that community. So I, yeah, that's one thing I've been telling a lot of students that was really helpful for me. Another thing I'm wondering is how um, you navigated the challenge of certain programs saying that they weren't admitting students mm -hmm. if it was already on your list did you um, try to replace those programs did you apply to fewer programs than you intended uh, because I, I I have worked with students who decided to wait another year and apply mm -hmm. the following cycle because yeah. they they felt as if there weren't enough programs for them to apply to this year yeah yeah I think it's fair. And, and the thing is, um, I feel like as I get a better idea of my research interests and the type of community that I want to be in, I don't want to apply to programs just to see. Like, I want to feel really, really confident in the community of a program that I'll have the support there. So no, I didn't really replace schools once it seemed like they didn't, they weren't accepting students or it wasn't a good fit. I was sort of like, I'm only <laughs> applying to places that I feel confident in, um, which does make me feel a lot better at this point. You know, I'm only looking at offers that I feel good about, so. Anything else you, you think that helped you with, um, with preparing for the process of applying and with, actually getting it done because it can feel like such a big um, yeah. management type project it's project it management you know because you've got so many things so many deadlines uh, some of them overlapping so what did you find you know help, helpful in kind of staying organized and just staying on top of your deadlines I will admit like first and foremost that being in the McNair program helped pace me in ways that I you know I would, I would have had to be so much more intentional. So at my university, there is, we have a course and then a summer program to help prep starting sophomore, junior year. Um, so just thinking about my applications early on definitely helped me. Applying to REUs, so research experience for undergraduates, definitely helped. I had some of those materials already built up for two That's years. That's right. That's why I tell people, I'm like, keep applying. I'm 
apply to summer programs, apply to yeah. scholarships and fellowships, because some of that content you can recycle and update. Yeah, you absolutely can. Um, and it was honestly, it was interesting to see, you know, what did sophomore year be? <laughs> think what, what was my personal statement then how did that change what parts of that like are still really important to me it was interesting to see my values sort of shift and then bringing those back in um, to my new personal statement so i'd say you know starting early you know it's hard advice because it's hard to get yourself to do those things early but having applied to those reus and thought about my personal statements early on it, it made the process a lot easier the other thing and this is also something that i get through mcnair is just having other people in my community that are also applying to programs. Um, so I'm really fortunate that I have a really great cohort in McNair and we would meet in the Adair house or talk to each other. I have my friend Trey who lives in the same dorm as me and we would just check in at the end of the day how our application's going. Um, there are some things that are a little bit newer that some of my professors weren't familiar with yet. So things like the diversity statement, trying to compare how we navigated things like that, where it seemed like that wasn't a part of the application process when some of my mentors were, were applying. Um, yeah, just having people in that process with you can be really helpful. I'm surprised that the diversity statement was new for them <laughs> because I feel like I've seen it for <laughs> for a few years now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Well, that that's um really helpful advice for the listeners. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to share about your experience applying to grad school thus far, your experience navigating undergraduate research, um, or anything else that might be helpful to students who are peers along similar path as you. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> sit on that. If not, it's fine. We can have you, we can also ask you um, for folks who resonated with what you said, who want to connect, want to be in touch. Mm -hmm. How can they reach you? Is there a way for them to reach you? Yeah. Yeah. Let me think of what the easiest way is. Could you put my contact info in like the show notes? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. That works. And then if you look me up, I'm on LinkedIn yes. <laughs> and other places too. Um, I guess well, Shania Montufar, look her up on LinkedIn yes. and I'll put it in the show notes yeah. as well. Yeah. I do. I think I have one more piece, maybe of broad advice that, you know, is related to the pandemic, but just more generally um, applying to things. This is about imposter syndrome. And I actually have one follow-up question just because <laughs> I've met you before and I just have this really, this, this particular impression of you and I just want to ask okay. you a question. Okay, okay. go ahead. <laughs> okay. But what I was going to say is I definitely was counting myself out of applications really early on. So whether it was things like RU, applying my sophomore year especially, I was like, I don't think I'm competitive for this. There are people who are applying to this their junior year, they go to R1s that are doing this and this. Um, and I, you know, got into a program which was really good for me at the time i didn't get accepted into a lot of programs but like even starting to write those applications then ended up translating into getting into more programs the next year and then applying to programs now for the phd um so you know <laughs> sometimes this is you know obviously an issue for for mcnair folks for other marginalized folks applying to programs uh counting yourself out of things is yeah. very easy to do but i think applying to things early even if you feel like you're not fully there um you will be eventually and you have to start to start to get that experience so yeah, yeah. maybe just a slight note about imposter syndrome but <laughs> yeah 
I like that. I, I, re I really like that. And I, um, so this is not the question I wanted to ask, but <laughs> just in, in light of you talking about summer programs, one thing that I tell students and folks that I work with is that it's actually really hard to get into summer programs. And I would even claim that it might be harder to get into summer programs than grad programs because there are fewer folks doing summer work and accepting students. And they are very, very competitive. Um, there are only a certain number of slots every summer. And so, yes, I'm really glad that you're saying to remind people to apply to summer programs that you never know. Don't count yourself out. Um, and if you get in, great. If you don't, don't take it personally. It, it really doesn't indicate whether or not you're going to get into grad school if you got into a summer and program. And the process is yeah. important, too. The process, at the least, is important. You start to know what it feels like to manage a project that big, so... And I'm surprised to hear you say that you were questioning yourself because I have this really positive impression of you from having <laughs> met you before. You just seem so on top of things. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you just like as maybe this can be the final question is how have you sustained motivation? It, it, yeah. it, we're talking about pandemic related issues. We're talking about this ongoing um, yeah. thing that's part of our everyday life that makes life a lot harder for us. And a lot of students have struggled with isolation and lack of motivation. Mm -hmm. And you're, you've come this far. So I, I would love for you to share what has kept you going. That's definitely one of the things I was thinking of early on in our conversation too. It's like, there are things that affect my application process, but then there are also things about life right now <laughs> that are just challenging. Yeah. Um, they obviously translate into what I want to do after I graduate. So um, I don't know. I think I'm still figuring that part out too. <laughs> but, you know, maybe two things. And one comes back to the community aspect. I think once I started talking to grad students, once I started talking to faculty, once I did those summer programs and met other students in the application process, I think that that gives you a lot of clarity yes. <laughs> and people are able to, to tell you that you're doing good things, which I think as someone who I am definitely sort of hard on myself and can be mm. a perfectionist at times, it's good to hear that and sort of, yeah, to get that feedback. Um, but community building is hard, especially mm -hmm. for you know, for anyone in a pandemic, I'll tell you that I'm also at like a rural Missouri school where there aren't a ton of folks that are on the same path as me. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I had to really explicitly sort of email people and say, can we talk for a bit, you know, having to be really, really hyper intentional about that, which is hard, which is really hard. Um, I'd say that. And then also giving myself things to do outside of work. Oh, I <laughs> love that. <laughs> hard which is really hard it's snowy outside right now <laughs> um like working on grad apps it can be all consuming because mm -hmm. you finish classes and you come home and you could work on those until midnight yeah. if you if you let yourself <laughs> so yeah I, I tried to find other things that brought me joy um I really like photography and other things like that. So trying to think of tasks that are not just like academic or not about research, like trying to find something that can kind of give some contrast to that. Uh, and then when I come back to my research, I'm like, oh, this is why I enjoy doing this. <laughs> so, you know, going and doing things outside of that um, because it's really easy to fixate on the graduate application process. I'll tell you right now, waiting for responses is also this whole other beast <laughs> that I haven't 
learn you gotta to stay busy so that you don't think about it <laughs> exactly it's a matter of like what okay what do you like outside of this process because it can be really all-consuming um so it's tough especially in this part of the year um between like classes and then it being <laughs> really sad outside uh but yeah trying to find some contrast and i guess that depends person to person but for me that's you know some art stuff <laughs> hanging out with people trying to in a safe way so and you're gonna keep doing that even as you navigate grad school too i think it's so healthy yeah. to pick up hobbies and to have a life outside of academia too yeah that's great yeah. all right well then um I think that wraps up our episode. We know that folks, we know how they're going to reach you. I'll put it in the show notes. I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing time and space with me and, um, and reconnecting, sharing your wisdom as you've navigated this process, because there's so much to learn. Yeah. I mean, there's so many changes that are going on that continue to happen. And so I just appreciate you and your generosity of kind of sharing your experience. Hopefully it'll help someone else out there. And hopefully continuing to stay in touch. Thank you, Yvette. Well, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcasts and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing, don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time. <laughs>